0: Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations.
1: I said, the fifth column, Jonah. you, to, do you come on? She she said, uh, why do you call it that? It's her little advice. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: like, I, like, oh, oh, yeah. I was like, it's just a good name. We,
2: we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.
1: Comrades, compañeros, fifth columnists, welcome to another edition of the fifth column, the 130th episode. I don't know. I think I've made about half of these. (laughs) I've been, I've been present for about 70. I'm Michael Moynihan, otherwise known as the Juan Guaidao of the fifth column. I have declared myself the leader and Camille is illegitimate and in exile. I'll be taking over. He is here. (laughs) He is here, but he is here from a distance. So let me introduce uh, Camille Foster, who does things that we don't know what they are at the, at the Freethink Media and is coming to us from a basement in bed which sounds like the description of some new Netflix documentary.
0: <laughs> Camille, how the hell are you? I'm good. Live live from Bedford-Stuyvesant. Live from the
1: bed well,
3: Live to tape. There yeah. you go. Live to tape. Uh, so who is subcommander? W- Subcomandante M- Marcos uh, in, in this uh, sphere now yeah, that
1: you've you, taken you, you can have it Okay, I mean, you asked for it, you can have it Okay, thank you. And that's Matt Welch, editor-at-large Which means he does nothing at Reason Magazine Such. Frequent, uh, contributor to various uh, television talk shows And to my right, which you can't see Because we haven't done that video function yet Is Anthony Fisher at Insider Which I used to call Business Insider Which is now just called Insider which is a little too close to Inside Edition for my liking. Anthony, how the hell are you? Doing well? I All think, right. So
4: should I be the Caracas Bob of
1: this? You, yeah, uh, group? Yeah, you are. yeah, you are. You're definitely, you're uh, Pedro Camora, it's the guy who declared himself the president in 2002. So this empty chair belongs to Jill Abramson? Is that like a kind of... Uh... <laughs> We're keeping it warm for you? Yeah. Uh-huh. We're keeping it warm fact, by, it by which I mean keeping it empty. It'll actually always be empty for every show. Until that <laughs> <happened>. Somebody, somebody <laughs> said to me today, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody said to me today, um, texted me, and uh, he's actually a father at uh, my daughter's school, and said you were just kidding about the Abrams thing, right? About the fifth column. And I was like, no, I'm not. She actually said that she would come
3: on. So, like, yeah. walk, walk us through. We know this, the the story. Um, yeah. it, it blew up and stuff, but like. You, you're you taking the red eye back to go yeah. on Reliable Sources with yeah. uh, former Fifth Column uh, guest, Brian Stelter or Stetler. Yeah, or, uh, Stelter. Bronson.
0: I mean, learn his, his name.
3: fucking name. Whatever. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's it's like, yeah. a, it's yeah. you know, you can't.
0: Moynihan, could you rewind? Because sure. Matt is starting the story like in the middle. Yeah, he's starting at the end. We haven't been on since Moynihan yeah. shook the world up. Yeah, and not
1: like, everyone lives on Twitter, so let's take, take a little bit of this. But I going to say that the uh, Fifth Column uh, listeners are great because there is one who somehow intercepted a tweet from some like mentally ill person who seems to be obsessed with my my employer. I've never seen this guy. And he was like, you know, Michael Moynihan, I think uh, he plagiarized for me because I because I it was so great because I had pointed out that some of this stuff came from somewhere else. This guy apparently saw one of these examples and someone chimed in and said, actually, on the fifth column in like early January, he said he was going to um, drop some of this stuff when the book was published. I've forgotten about that, but a, a uh, fifth column listener remembered it and actually um, disputed this psychopath's psychopathic position. Name of the book, Jill Abramson, the former executive editor of the New York Times, professor at Harvard, columnist at The Guardian, uh, wrote a book called Merchants of Truth. Um, and in that book, it's it's a book about the media and comparing the old media to the new media. And so it's a sort of very, very, very brief pricey of it. And I read it and I read the chapters on Vice and was howling with laughter within two minutes because there was a mistake literally in every paragraph. I couldn't believe it. But so when the book came out, I tweeted it. And again, the reason we we didn't publish it was just, you know, it it did kind of feel like Vice was, you know, taking an institutional position and that wasn't the case. It was just me. So I tweeted it rather than rather than writing um, or placing a piece about it. And so, yeah, I went a little crazy. Um, And um, I was... (laughs) Having dinner, I guess it was Wednesday night when it when it when it dropped. Uh, no, I think it was Thursday. I don't. Remember. It doesn't make a difference. But I, I but I'm I'm you know, ten glasses of wine in. I mean, I was like blackout drunk then. And I'm really sorry to admit this. <laughs> I don't really remember how I got home. I did get home, and I woke up on the couch at five in the morning, fully clothed, with a jewel in my hand. And my hand was like curd it was like curdled. It was like all like a little claw. And I don't know. Well, I drank a lot of wine, so I'm at this restaurant, and his tweets are going crazy, and my phone is like blowing up. And somebody sends me a text and was like, "Dude, she's on Fox News right now." And I'm like, this is not the kind of restaurant in, in Tribeca that you can go to. Like, Can you put some Fox News on the thing? <laughs> so I just like looking at my I was just watching. And someone filmed it with their phone and sent it back to me. So Jill Abramson's on Martha McCallum's show. And she has no idea about my tweets, apparently. And McCallum just sandbags her. And this is within an hour of your tweets Within going an hour, yeah. yeah. You'd think the PR team over at Simon & Schuster would have been a little faster with this stuff. Maybe, you know, calling her up on her flip phone or something. But it didn't happen. And she is stunned. Looks stunned. And um, denies everything. There's, two, there's an example on the screen, and she denies what's right in front of her. And that was that. Right? So I didn't talk to anyone else about it. I ignored all media crests with the exception of I talked to the Times, uh, her former employer, of the Times, just to kind of give them a little background and how it how it came out. And because she is already starting to spin, right? The first, the first tweet. Um, I don't know, if Anthony, if you can bring it up her tweet that said um that there was like a vendetta vice had a vendetta against me the her. attacks on my book from some
4: at vice news reflect their unhappiness yeah. with what i considered a balanced portrayal i endeavored to accurately and properly give attribution to the hundreds of sources that were part of my research i take seriously the issues raised and will review the passages
1: in question so she says she reviews the passage the next day she ha- takes a new tactic and the new tactic is that all the citations are there they're just misplaced they were just in the back end notes and they got off their chain and they started running around the yard and they came back in the wrong place. Um, that's not true. Um, she tried it yesterday on CNN too. Right before I went on, it's not true. The, the, the pieces that the the two the first two in particular um, are not cited anywhere. There's no citation. It doesn't matter. You can't cite plagiarism. <laughs>
3: and like if you cannot.
1: And again, let me repeat that again. You cannot if cite you have, plagiarism
3: if you have a 29 word passage. Sure. And 28 of 28. those words. Are the same. Yes.
1: Including punctuation. Including punctuation, punctuation. basic structure, everything. M dashes are the same.
3: Um, yeah. yeah. Then what you're doing is you're cutting pasting. Yes. You're not. That's not. It's not allowed. You can't do that. And it's especially not allowed. Um, there's a scale here, and this is,
1: uh, we get into the place where it's super not allowed yeah. when you're writing a book about journalistic ethics. <laughs> well, as she, as she said,
4: the yeah. bar, the bar uh, when you're writing a book is higher for plagiarism than when you're just doing journalism. So yeah. if, you're writing a, if you're a journalist writing a book about journalistic ethics, the bar for plagiarism isn't
3: as, you know, low as if you're just writing a newspaper column.
1: Yeah, apparently. I don't know where these rules are coming from, but uh, she seems to be making up. Certainly not along.
3: the institutions that she works for and has worked for. Uh, no. Past, as Tom Skoko. wrote in a very, very good piece.
1: And Tom, uh, and Tom Skoka, whom I don't know. And, um, I uh, was the one who pointed out that, that it was 28 of 29 words and one that was tweaked. Uh, punctuation was the same parentheticals and other ones were the same. So it's, you know, it's pretty obvious where this stuff comes from. And I do want to point out that I, I put on a tweet and nobody from Simon and Schuster has called me, emailed me. She hasn't either. Um, I'll get a little more on that in a, a very brief second. Cause I did tweet that. I have a lot more and I wasn't in the it wasn't you know interesting to me to actually just keep on piling on. If you guys want, like if they they say, like, we were just gonna release a release a you know updated copy and we wanna make, make sure everything's right. By the way, this is not something you could have done 10, 15 years ago, because they keep saying this. And here's the thing: I have a printed copy of the book, and every time I open it up, it hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah, this is so it's very strange because they keep telling me it's gonna change. But they keep on updating this. Uh, ebook ca- copy, which is now like a fucking app. It's like one point zero one six one update, one point zero one six eight. It's like every time I open my fucking iPhone, I get a, like a new copy of it. So you know, you can't actually do that in in a book. I, I appreciate the fact that they are trying to update it, but they should have done that beforehand. So we've advised have been blamed for getting a copy of it and not sufficiently fact checking her book for plagiarism, which is not the job of our PR department. She did not check this stuff with uh, with the people that she interviewed advice. I mean, basically every journalistic sin that one can uh, uh, commit, she commits in doing this book. So, yeah, these tweets go and it goes kind of nuts. Uh, and um, just to fast forward. um. Yesterday, I walked into the building at Columbus Circle, CNN's building on on 58th, and uh, uh, walked in and uh, checked in, and I got a message uh, from our former guest Brian Stelter, uh, who told me that something had changed on the on the show, and uh, I was told going in that, that that she was there or she was coming, and uh, yeah, that that happened, and so I was like, my response is like, fuck yeah. <laughs> i mean you know like this is i mean i was salivating yeah um but you know things changed things were rearranged um i went on after her and um uh i met her on the way out she stayed so uh, i actually met her when i was going on set this is actually if we're talking about accuracy i was walking in and she just looked at me and it was like this moment jogger it's kind of kismet yeah it was kind of this tense moment so then I just kissed her. No, i <laughs> uh, So I just, I just like, she's kind of staring at, and, and she's like, ha, ah, that voice. And I, and, and so she seemed like, to, like not bothered by it. Is this kind of weird for you to say? And if you watch your performance on CNN, which is a total flat denial and Brian Stelter, who, who used to work for her at, at the New York times, um, is really did a great job. I mean, he was really badgering her and saying, no, this is plagiarism. And he introduced me and said, Michael, this is, I used to be plagiarism. How do you define plagiarism? To which I responded that because it was on the screen. <laughs> That's plagiarism. And so we had a conversation and it was a very brief one. She kind of stuck at the, 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 the next to the set and I was like, can we make sure she leaves? <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. You know, it's a weird, oh, you know. So she she stuck around on the set. Oh Well, they, I think they they shunted her off right before <laughs> I started, but I think she was planning on staying around, but she was, she was there. And um, when I went out, um, into not even the green room, just out, outside. And she was standing there where all the TVs are in the kind of lobby at CNN. And we talked. And we both had cars taking us away. So we walked downstairs. We walked out the building. We talked. We stood out uh, on 58th Street and we talked. And we had a nice conversation, uh, to be honest. And I asked her at the end of that conversation, uh, which I will respect as being being sort of off the record. It was never declared that it was, but it was also not declared that I've ever mentioned it to anyone. I said, uh, at "The fifth call, Jonah, Joanna, come on." And the amazing thing is, first of all, she said she'd listened to it, and I believe that means she listened to it maybe on Thursday night after she was looking at her Twitter mentions. But she she said. Uh, why do you call it that? It's a little aggressive. And I was like, it's just a good name. Yeah. And I said, will you come on? And she said, sure. Yeah. Why not? I'll come on. Wow. And I said, it's a bit, it's a bit longer. It'll be the longer airing of grievances. And so we, we can do it in a sort of, you know, not you five minutes in a commercial break and me five minutes in a commercial break. Well, actually, There was somebody even on my path, somebody else remote from pointer who is, who is great and nice and everything. So we're going to do a longer thing. And she said, yes, You know, I had an idea, too, of doing this as if it was a Brian Lamb interview and nothing had happened. I just bring her in and talking about the book because I disagree with the premise of the book, too.
3: Uh, yeah I totally want to i mean uh we don't need to go too far down the yeah. rabbit hole, but like well, there I mean, was we're a, effectively a media podcast in a lot of ways there was media a, a lot i I used to reliably every eighteen months I would write a uh a book review an omnibus book review about that season's woe is media books yeah. written by Um, super successful lifers coming towards the end of their career, talking about how bad the kids are with their new journalisms these days. I mean, they would happen all the time. And I finally got bored with it because these books are dreary. They're slogs. They're predictable. They repeat themselves. They come from the same people. They all cite the Committee for Concerned Journalists, Mm -hmm. which is a thing. My God, they even came out with a report this week, the Committee for Concerned Journalists talking about how we need like a new Marshall plan for journalism or some goddamn thing. Um, It's awful. So there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Beyond all of those other.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it is it is very much um, there's some somebody said to me, don't you think one of her young research assistants wrote some of this stuff and screwed it up? I don't know. Um, I asked her, by the way, I will say this, um, because, I mean, this was a kind of journalistic question and it wasn't a personal question anyway. And I said, you know, I I literally and she can confront us. I looked her straight in the eye and I said, what happened? You know what? What happened? This is not okay." And what? And I said, was it one of your people? Now, when you're in a position like this, and Fareed Zakaria was in a position like this, um, you have a choice. It's which horrible path do you want to go down? One is the path of, I take full responsibility for this, and I'm shitty at this. Um, I was the doyen of American journalism, but I'm actually quite bad at this. That's not a great path to go down. The other path to go down, and whether or not this is true, let's pretend it is true, is to blame it on a like undergraduate research assistant, and you're acknowledging that you, as the great journalist who got a million, this is true, a million plus dollars for that book as an advance, is, uh, you know, having a a child who's incompetent write the book, or do most of the heavy lifting, and then when you actually get the manuscript, you're not even reading it. Um. So you know, actually, somebody made a great. She actually said something. She got an, I mean, the the knives were out for her because of this quote. That she gave to the New York magazine's uh, kind of sub New York magazine thing within the New York magazine called the Cut, uh, where she said she had a photographic memory, so she didn't re- need to record. Oh right, yeah, her interviews. This, yeah, before all. Uh, that. To which uh, there was a very very funny response in my Twitter feed after I after I did the pleasures and thing, they're like, man, apparently she does have a photographic <laughs> yeah, memory. <laughs> that was a funny funny joke, but you know, at the I'll just finish this up by saying this, it's like, yeah, these are these are two choices you don't want to make because because either way, y- you don't look good. So um, what what do you do now? I heard some rumblings from some people um, in some places about publishing. I checked it out because they hadn't reached out to me is that I think that maybe there's a panic there, too. And when it's so obvious, you might just want to admit it and try to explain how it happened and just move on. I, I don't envy. Doing this, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I was like, I actually said to her, I was like, I'm sorry if everything is really horrible for you. And she actually said to me, she was like, No, it's all right, it's fine. I mean, she gets it and she, she understands. She wasn't mean or horrible or like fuck you about it, uh, which I respected, you know. And I kind of weirdly almost respect the fact that she went in front of Brian Stelter and watched this. Clip online, people. She went in front of Brian Stelter and just
3: really dug her heels up. She's like 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 in uh, in yeah. dealing with this in a public setting. It's not been very uh, pretty yeah. from her point of view. And again, I, I recommend the Tom Coca thing not to steal Michael's Thunder because oh, it's no. My, Michael's original uh, – um, kind of digging on this kind of stuff, but his gloss on it, which I'm I'm afraid rings just true, is that there is plagiarism, and then there's stuff that people who are are well respected peers did a little bit wrong, but we wouldn't ever use that word because that's not something that higher class people do. And, yeah. uh, and, and that sounds more conspiratorial than even that I intended. It's, it's that people can't wrap their minds around the Mike Barnacles, the Freed Sicarias, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, some of whom had the same editor, right? Alice Mayhew edited a lot of these Alice things, Alice Mayhew, yeah. uh, who's the, you know, the m- m- most yeah. famous uh, editor, a literary editor, uh, around, but none of us have those luxuries. We can't afford that researcher. Wouldn't really know. I, I couldn't imagine actually outsourcing, um, things that were written under my name. I can't ma- imagine the Matt Welch survival report, uh, depending on someone yeah. like Elsa yeah. writing, writing exactly. these words, uh, in my name. Um, but it, it, the thing, the things that we do take extra time compared to other people. Yeah. Um, because you have to write all of it yourself. I mean, um, one, one
4: major point of the book, I read about half of it, but a recurring theme is how much new media and these kids today in new media are in a hurry. They're in such a rush. They're not taking yeah. the time to do their due diligence.
1: Yeah, I talked to one person who was interviewed for that book today uh, who called me and um, was like, man, I just don't think I said these things or I think it was wrong. And then looked and was like, you know, I just like last year and he looked at his notes and he said, Shit, she interviewed me in 2015. And I was like, yeah, no, it was four years ago. She was, she's was she been doing this book for four years and a million dollars. And you give me four years and a million dollars, I can give you a better book than that. That's, I mean, look, I also can't stand the laziness of it. It's, it, there is a certain entitlement in it of like, it is, I have all these people that are my students at Harvard. I'm not, I don't know if that's true, by the way. I don't know where they come from, research assistants, whatever. I mean, she came, she showed up to a lot of the interviews she did with people that I know with an assistant. Um, and the assistant was taking notes, um, and nobody was recording. And she doesn't record. There's no. By, by the way, there's no excuse. How do you do that? There is no excuse in 2019 where your phone is a recorder. You know, all of us who are journalists remember the times when you had those Sony recorders that had like one gig on board, and those God. like those mics that like clipped in with the eighth eighth inch jack, <laughs> and, and that like, little thing that you forget it,
3: the the phone tap that you, yeah, of on? course,
1: you, yeah. With, the, with the curly yeah. And I remember interviews of like going to them and being like, "Fuck, I forgot my recorder. What am I gonna do?" I don't have a single interview that I've ever done that I haven't recorded. I have them backed up in the cloud, too, in case anyone ever wanted to come back at me sometime. But the other thing about the recorder, not having a
0: recorder, is you can kind of tweak quotes a bit. Is there no credibility to the defense that she's offered, the notion that in the old days you had to do it in this way so that you didn't unsettle people? Whereas today you can maybe use a recorder and it's fine? No,
1: it's total horseshit. And as somebody who cares a lot... About or or thinks a lot and cares a lot, thinks a lot about how to interview people. You don't want to turn people off. You want to have a good bedside manner with them before you start talking to them. You want to make sure that you're you guys are buddies, but not too close of buddies, that it actually affects your reporting and the rest of it. But her excuse was essentially that I. Anthony, you can bring up the quote, but it was, it was something like, you know, I, I I start scribbling after they've given me the good stuff because I don't want it to affect their answer, which is not something that happens. If you don't want to affect their answer, don't even tell them that you're recording it. Just put your fucking recorder on your phone and place it face down and be like, let's talk guy. And like, I record people Mm. with cameras in front of lights. I mean, and big camera rigs and sometimes a three or four camera shoot. I mean, usually three, you know, camera on each person, and then a wide shot. So you get a lot of, you get a lot of noise going on there. And I just interviewed somebody this weekend who was somebody who did not want to be on camera. I did not like being on camera. They'd never been on camera before and were really socially awkward and actually talked openly about that. And it was a day of getting them kind of prepared for it. You know, if you want to walk into an interview and say, oh, if I start writing at this point or if I record, it's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to make them more uncomfortable when they get the bound copy of your book and all the quotes are wrong. Yeah, what so you
4: said, said. I'm a very fast note taker. When someone kind of says the quote unquote it thing I really wanted, I don't start scribbling right, right away. I've got a photographic memory, so I wait a beat or two while they're on something else. Then I write down the previous thing they said yeah. because you don't want your subject to get nervous about what they just said.
3: That's just such a recipe for a cascade of errors. Yeah, right there. Is. And also yeah. you're sitting around waiting for the nugget. Like you're you're you you already know what the story it is. Yeah. And you will you will seize in that moment. Camille, to your to, like the good hearted part of your question, um, not to say that you have a bad <laughs> heart, but like, no, like the, there was a time in the 90s or 80s, like when I was first getting into this, where the 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 physical fact of the tape recorder was different it was big it was you wouldn't see it normally so it would inject for a half a moment the sense of like oh what's going on here i'm being recorded um in a way that is just doesn't have an analog now because everyone records things all the time and feels natural about them and i think also now people have the understanding that um just like with you know uh dashboard cams and things like that that you want an independent record of of this transaction Mm -hmm. that it's better for everybody uh for that and that's i think better understood now than then but i will say among the people who shared uh Jill Abramson's ideas about tape recording sainted uh, New York Times media writer uh, David Carr. I once was at a, a talk that he gave at the Association of American Alternative News Weeklies around 2002 or 2003 when uh, Ken Lane and I were scaring up uh, trying to do an, an alt weekly with uh, Richard Reardon in, in uh, L.A. Um, so we went to this thing and we were just uh, just bum rushing all the old gray beer hippies and talking about journalism. And David Carr's like, yeah, never record Never. I, and, and he showed like his own method and he couldn't type. Yeah. He was, he was two finger typing. And so he would sit there while he's talking, oh, slow down, man. And I, you know, he, I'm sure he interviewed you, uh, uh, Moynihan. Uh, I don't various, think I ever talked to him. He interviewed me for uh, various things. I mean, when I was absolutely like, why would the hell would you interview his, his, his I, I've never talked to him. His daughter is a friend of mine
1: and she is absurdly talented. She's a filmmaker. She does a lot, Aaron Lee Carr, and she does a bunch for HBO. She did a great talk, by the way, about free speech. Uh, Kind of about free speech, but about the cannibal cop, which is terrific. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen it, it's really, really good. And I believe it opens with a great scene of him frying a steak in a pan, which is so good. Um, But I never talked to him. And I I do have a lot of respect for him. I really liked his book and all that stuff. But I think that that's old habits. Um, There's somebody of different generations. And some people can, of course, do it better than others because there was a time where you did have to do it that way. And there are ways of doing it that are are good and, and doing it with a pencil and the rest of it. But in 2019, but in twenty nineteen, yeah. there's really no excuse anywhere, anywhere. anywhere. If you're but in
3: Nigeria, record the damn thing. Everyone it makes, has a
1: phone. And it makes you a bit curious. Um, one other thing I'll say about this and we can move on is that one of the things that makes you curious is that when you look at the book, one of the things that nobody will notice because nobody could possibly notice them re- reading this and writing about it as somebody who works at the place under review is both a handicap and an advantage. And the handicap is people are going to say, oh, sour grapes from you. I honestly don't care. I don't care if you want to go and, and uh, you know, it's a varied organization. People can defend themselves. If you want to take pot shots out of it, you know, everybody there is used to it. Fine. I, we don't care. Um, just be accurate about it. That's fine. If you want to be, just be accurate. But when you have worked there, you start reading these things and you're going, oh, oh, and I haven't talked about this yet. And nobody's talked about it yet. But the thing that offends me more than anything is the screwing with timelines. So if you screw with timelines, it makes your point. And if you screw with facts, it can make your point. There's a point at which it, it said that the organization is, is um, doesn't have the training that some of the New York Times does, and they're reckless. Uh, and it talks about, without naming um, and defaming somebody, a, a journalist named Danny Gold, which I'm sure some of you know, yeah. and it says that he didn't wear any protective gear when he's doing his Ebola story. It's in the fucking piece. You can see him wearing the protective gear this is one about uh my friend thomas morton says that he was in syria and he wasn't wearing a flak jacket at the first sh- sh- shot of this piece he's not wearing a flak jacket uh, on the syrian front lines with the ypg and as thomas explained it i think and it's something he wrote about it um is that um thomas didn't actually realize this uh said that yeah well i was wearing a flak jacket but nobody else was and to jill's point trying to fit in etc cetera. <laughs> You know, watch the piece, a minute and a half in. Thomas is walking with YPG people wearing a flat jacket, and the point of this was she says, "I got training before I went to Afghanistan, and we follow the rules, and we wear the flag. It's not even true. So to actually make that point that we are, to, you kind of have to invent the evidence in a way. That's actually more offensive to me. Another bit, which maybe someone will talk about, uh, is editor in chief, first female editor in chief of Vice Magazine, um, has a conversation about the, the lad culture of the magazine. Um, and look, it was started, started by three guys. So, you know, it wouldn't be too surprising if somebody had that concern. And then it says, you know, and then Shane Smith ran through our, the CEO of the company ran through the, the office naked, horrifying women, backslapping men, because there was uh, the 2,000th, 2, uh, 2 millionth YouTube um, subscriber. Well, I, I, I know the organization. I remember two of these things and I remember the order that they happened. Uh, Shane did that in 2013. Um, And by the way, he wasn't naked. Uh, He was wearing underwear, but we, thank thank God, we blurred it. (laughs) It was blurred. It was they, because I don't think I was actually working at the time. They blurred it just as a kind of a joke with the Vice logo and he runs through. Uh, Har, har, har. Um, Ellis became editor in 2014 or 15. So, and it says she immediately, immediately after that and she gives a timeline and this horror, this is how little respect they had for people. It's not true. And if you just look at the timeline, you know it's not true. It's demonstrably false. And there's one of these here and there and everywhere. And it's like, geez, man, that is actually more offensive to me than even the plagiarism. I mean, I write a lot about plagiarism, but it does offend me that if you want to take shots at an organization...
0: We're all grown ups. We can take it and we can fire back if we want, but make them accurate and make it true. One of the things that is so surprising to me about the fallout is most of the conversation that's happened subsequently has been about the particular pieces of content that she's lifted from other places and used in her book and the factual inaccuracies, the, the fact that she's working backwards from her conclusions, for example. I mean, I heard you briefly mention that on the appearance with Brian but that doesn't seem to get nearly as much attention. No, and, and no, it does it seem to me that, that no. both things are pretty damn substantive. I mean, one is sort of this this crime within the discipline that, that offends people, but it, it seems pretty important if the narrative that you have here simply does not conform to the facts. That's a pretty fundamental deficiency. And it's uh so I do hope that Miss Abramson will uh, yeah. uh, will take us up on the offer to join yeah, us. Yeah, I
1: I hope so too. And I mean I I and again, it's like I'm not foaming at the mouth, as I tend to do sometimes in this podcast about other issues. I'm not like I'm not <laughs> mad true. at her. Shocking. I'm not like I, I will. I am mad at you. I, I want ta- yeah, to <laughs> talk to her about this because I'm, I'm interested in um, how a book like this is produced. And I'll say, and I'll say this um, This kind of frustrating thing is when I said there's other stuff out there, there's a lot of other stuff out there. And, you know, the weird thing. And nobody took me up on that offer. I mean, this is these tweets are reaching far and wide. It's in, you know, it was on yeah. the it was on the front cover of the BBC's no, you website said directly
3: to Simon and Schuster. Hey, uh, look, hey,
1: I'm happy to for you. But you know what? Here's the thing. <laughs> and I, I, this is not uh, specific to Simon and Schuster. This is in, in, in publishing in general. You give away a million dollar advance for a book like this and she's a, a big deal. And you got a, a, a PR strategy. You're ready to roll out. And you got her speaking at the museum with Brian Stelter. Actually, this weekend, you have her going on book tours everywhere. You don't give two shits about correcting the book. You worry about the book sinking and you losing your money. This is not an organization that's really caring too much about factual accuracy and about, you know, like, let's make sure that we have a book that's under our banner that, you know, adheres to journalistic standards, even though it's about journalism and called Merchants of Truth. They don't care about that so much. And they just want to make sure they don't lose their investment. And there's no way They retain their investment by going out and saying, yes, we're going to conduct a full and independent inquiry into this. I am happy to do it without publicly shaming her, right, further. And I don't think it's shaming. Shaming is kind of a pejorative thing. I'm just stating things that are true. And the Jonah Lehrer instance, I had a dossier of stuff on the other stuff, but – the New Yorker was about to fire him and we had to get our story out before the New Yorker did. Cause people would say, why are they firing him? And then you lose control of the story yourself. So we put out a limited amount of stuff. I took the rest of that. I gave it to the publisher. Hmm. They asked for it too. They was one of them emailed me. It was like maybe a week later. Um, and I gave him everything and they said, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And then they pulled the second book that he wrote out of circulation too. I think it's how we decide or something they pulled that one off the shelves also which was full of plagiarism and how 20.
3: we decide to pull the book
1: how do we decide to <laughs> to to write a book without actually having to do much work but it surprised me that nobody else started digging and, uh, uh, Oliver Darcy was the only one that I saw that actually, uh, offered another couple of examples of plagiarism.
3: Right.
0: And nobody asked me. Washington Post did as well. Uh, oh, they did. Yeah. I think there was a, a pair of them.
1: Oh yeah. Maybe Eric Wemple did, did too. Wemple had a very good column on this too. So anyway, that's, that's that. And that was, that was the week that was, and it was a, it was a pretty exhausting one for me and I'm glad it's done.
3: Um, I just <clears throat> am proud of us that we didn't record an emergency podcast just because I think 10 days before people suggested that we do I had uh I put on Twitter that Anytime that you hear the phrase emergency podcast, you should always append the suffix in is, my pants. Is that is that a, is that a phrase you hear often? Yeah. Well, like all the uh, all the uh, like Mueller investigation people, like oh, whenever there's God. a new thing, it's like an you know, emergency podcast. Benjamin Wittes is out there with an emergency podcast. Nice, like guys, guys, give
0: it, give it a, little, a few days to breathe. Some of our very respectable podcast friends do emergency podcasts as well. They try to give people context on the breaking news. Our friend Jody over at uh, Five Thirty Eight has a few of those every oh. once in a while.
1: I ran. By the way, I'm, I have low blood sugar because I'm a diabetic and yeah, um, nobody gives a shit. And so I'm eating at the same time as uh, doing this. I ran into Jody on a plane coming from L.A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was hosting some sort of podcast awards and um, he was very funny about and, it. And he
0: didn't, he didn't make sure that we got one, which is no, shameful. Was he playing coach? With that? You?
1: He you? He was a seat behind me and said hi to hide me on the way out. So he you didn't want to bother me on the plane. And I was like, I oh, know, that's fine. It's just awkward. You want to sit in the plane and have not acknowledge each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was probably watching <laughs> You know, the Red Shoe Diaries or something <laughs> on, my, on my phone. <laughs> so, anyway. Speaking, speaking of
0: Red Shoe Diaries. Hey. Um, no, what a
1: transition that's going to be.
0: Speaking of 1980s, I, I, really, core. I really don't have one. All right. Um, this the, is Katy Perry's a, shoe hey, line.
1: Um, <laughs> hey, that's actually not No, not I mean, that, that's, a, that's a back of the show thing. Yeah. Start looking that up, uh, listeners, because you're going <laughs> to get hit with <laughs> Katy Perry's racist <laughs> shoes. She's wearing Bull Connor on her fucking feet. I thought yeah. she was woke old, now old too. Old Bull Connor feet. She is woke now, and she's putting out <laughs> raises shoes. like Black
0: History Month. And Come by you? the way, she also Stop she it. also uh, used
1: to be married to Russell Brand, who um, oh. who uh, once denounced me on Twitter in a very funny way. As a plagiarist? Um, no, he's like he's like the elites in me. And I was like, buddy, you're fucking rich. <laughs> uh, that was that was during the time he he had that one
4: yeah. t- totally inane interview where he was ranting about socialism, and the somebody packaged it as a viral video said saying. Oh my God! Russell Brand may have started a revolution last night. Well, his book is in called Revolution. My pants.
1: <laughs> his book is called Revolution, and I reviewed it, and it was. It Didn't Johann Hari uh, ghostwrite that I think shit? He, ghost it. Uh, he was he was thanked in it. I don't think he ghostwrote it. But speaking uh, of plagiarism, yeah, exactly. Speaking of plagiarism, a, yeah. um, <laughs> a lot of plagiarists out there, aren't there? But yeah, I made fun of that book, um, and he was like, and he was. Um, and actually contributed to the meme, the Park Life meme. That was so great. <laughs> uh, if anybody, so uh, we have a we have a, a very broad base of listeners, and some of you might not know this, but there was a, a song by the band Blur uh, called Park Life, and in the song, we can drop some audio in here if you want, was Phil Daniels, Phil Daniels from Quadrophenia, singing on it more talking on it, and it was incoherent. Confidence is a pre- preference of habitual voyeur of, of what is known as Park Life in. That that became a meme because Russell's writing was so bad. I was gonna say Russell means, by the way, that's why I stopped. Um, So I had pointed out the writing in it and somebody else had pointed out some of the other things, which were his interviews, which was a dumb person trying to be smart and overwriting, And it sounded like the song Park Life. Uh, It's really hard to explain, but but look it up. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, That was a
4: golden age of Vine. Remember Vine? Yeah, Vine. Um,
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Camille sent me a link to somebody who was a Vine star, uh, 22 Savage, who killed somebody. Thank you, Camille. (laughs) Allegedly. I think that's a little too hard to get into now. But we'll leave Katy Perry to the back of the show and just say I know Camille, who is in his basement, has some um, opinions on Representative Omar. (laughs)
0: Um yeah. <laughs> who well, is not I was, was going to transition there. Yeah, I was yeah, I, I was, was going to transition there. Don't so, transition. I mean, we could set Just say it. we could set this up. Yeah. We could set this up in a couple of different ways because I I do think that the current controversy surrounding uh Congresswoman Omar, the freshman congressperson from uh Minnesota, correct? Yeah, um, yeah Democrat correct. from Minnesota. Um she has stirred up some trouble for herself, an account of some tweets yeah. that she's posted on Gab, uh, which have been <laughs> critical. <laughs> Can I get a laugh from Come on, Camille. Jeez, I, I didn't, I didn't hear you. What'd you say? He said Gab, which is the Nazi Twitter. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I missed yeah. that. Jokes are always good but that 20. is funny because she's being accused of anti semitism. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the freshman Congresswoman is perhaps an example of something rather specific. If you are Leveling certain sorts of critiques um, of the Israeli lobby, someone might say it's uh, anti-Semitic for me to describe
3: it as the Israeli lo- lobby. If you don't call it the lobby, then forget it, man. I, w- I want to hear. I want to <laughs> hear the L capitalized. Go ahead. And I, I would say to be more specific, I would say the Israel
1: lobby, if you're going to use that language, because um, a lot of people that aren't aren't the, that are lobbyists, uh, you know, on behalf of groups like. A AIPAC are not Israeli themselves.
0: Precisely. So,
4: and also, right. there are is, there are pro-Israeli lobbies that aren't AIPAC, like J Street, which is actually uh, much more uh, it's less hardline, less aligned with Netanyahu. Yeah, the the opposite, I would say. Of yeah, I
0: think all those qualifications are important and useful, um, but they also are part of the reason why I'm less excited about the particular outrage associated with her than a lot of other folks are. Um, and I know that there's a history of tweets from her that seem to be suggestive of well-known, in many circles, uh, slights against Jewish people, um, that they have money, that they're pulling the strings of of government in various contexts, that they may, in fact, have some sort of hypnosis abilities that they're deploying (laughs) on people. But the question here is whether or not it's possible to level criticism at policymakers' Who are taking money from certain lobbyists and who are perhaps supporting causes that those uh, lobbyists might be interested in?
3: Uh, I think that there are a couple of of uh, separate issues that can be can be talked about. This right, you 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 bring it up, Camille. As is it possible to criticize people who get uh, money from certain lobbies and et etc. This is the line which is popular among the Glenn Greenwald, and Mike Mike Tracy, and uh, even some Matthew Iglesias was was uh, saying things along these lines uh, today with this formulation of like, well, we're not allowed to criticize um, certain lobbies. You can tell by the vociferousness of the, uh, the, the, the rebukes on Omar, where like the real uh, power uh, lays. And, In a similar way, and this is just one strand of it, the other one I'm more curious to what Anthony in particular has to say, since he follows this stuff closer than I do, about Omar's history and about other uh, aspects of that. But on the narrow point of people saying in the wake of this controversy – um, that we 're not allowed to criticize certain things, I just want to call out that that is bullshit. Mm. It is the same very often the same people. And these are people who we have discourse with and some we 've had in the show and have interacted with again Michael Tracy Glenn Greenwald, and stuff. They say the same thing whenever John McCain dies, you know we 're not allowed to criticize John McCain. yes, you are you 're doing it actually right now there yeah. on Twitter when you 're saying that we 're not allowed to say x, you are saying x. actually, what you're expressing is your frustration. That your argument about X isn't winning, yeah, and you think that's really bad. That's right, and, and also that in some cases, as in with Omar, and I think Kevin McCarthy, the the whatever the hell he is in the in the House, the uh, the majority minority leader, um, uh there there is action among some republicans and uh, Marco Rubio does this in the senate as well that are actually trying to kind of restrict speech in the name of defending israel which is yes. bad don't do that that is wrong i agree we can all go out there but to but to try to 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 posit that there is these things that we're not allowed to say like we're not allowed to criticize APAC, it's fucking when AP has been getting criticized my entire adult life it's not that hard to do there's a lot of lobbies out there um I think what we've seen in in a, in a lot of uh, the responses here is this kind of uh, uh, in addition to other things this sort of failure to understand like as in with the NRA that you know what Americans kind of are Predisposed towards Israel. They are predisposed towards gun ownership. So if you're on the opposite side of those issues, you feel like there's a big thing that must be kind of like uh, some puppeteer above it all. And this has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Just like there must be some explanation for why my argument isn't winning. Actually, I think your argument isn't winning. I think that's yeah, that's I th- more important. I, I, I think that's an important point.
0: But isn't but isn't the question here, Matt? I mean, the, the fact is that she has been accused of anti-Semitism. Um, and we could, I suppose, talk about the various ways in which that may may have merit, um, or perhaps may not. Well, she has her own history, so
1: let's y- yeah, let's hear had, about that. Yeah, she has her own history. And I, like, look, look, let me jump in here and say a couple things. Is that, uh, yeah, there are people that that say anti-Semitism too quickly. I yes. mean, that's I don't think that's 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 something that anyone would really dispute. Maybe there are some people who dispute The people who are doing that, but you know, it's funny because it's a mirror of an argument. That you hear on the other side, right? Is that, you know, it's often people say, like, oh, you can't say, you know, these lefties saying they, you can't say, and you have people on the right too saying, you can't say anything because they gotta call you anti Semites. And I see on the right, this sort of, you know, Buchananite wing of, of the Republican Party. And, you know, oftentimes when you hear people on the left say it, it's like, guys, do you realize what you're saying here? Do you realize the mirror on the other side? Of that if you criticize something, you're called a racist. And like, you understand the t- t- the two poles of this, this argument? Because it's somehow separated out when it's talked about anti-Semitism and when it's talked about sort of anti-black racism or anti-you know Hispanic racism, whatever it be, or anti-feminist tendencies. You you see these people sound like conservatives. When they say, Oh, you can't say it because you're just accused of being anti-Israel, you can't make these obvious points because all of a sudden I'm an anti-Semite. It is a parallel of a, an argument that you hear on the other side. So I just want to say, first off, that I do understand that there are people that have an itchy trigger finger on, on on these sorts of things. But to Matt's point, I think is the important one that 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 if the pro-Israel lobby, and I think that's a bad phrase, were effective, which I don't think sometimes they are, they would be winning this debate by pointing out that Americans are largely Support of of Israel. And you see a dive in support in the mid 90s. And I think it's around, you know, Oslo and the failure of Oslo in the uh, Itzhak Rabin and, and all the things that the assassination, all the things that happened. And you see it steadily climb after 9-11. This is not a coincidence. This is very obvious. People associate the Palestinian cause with an extremist Muslim cause. Whether or not that is right is not the point of this conversation, and it's not something I care to debate. It's just the truth. And that's why, I mean, it's the truth that people think that. And you see the support for Israel go up and the rhetoric of it's the only democracy in the Middle East is actually impactful. And so when politicians tend to be on the side of Israel, they, it's not because they are hypnotized, yeah. to use the language of Ms. Omar, who said this, on on Twitter in the past, which is an anti-Semitic trope in the same way that people's ears prick up when you talk about fried chicken and bananas when you talk about black people, right? This is not, you know, this is not- What about watermelon chew toys? Oh, for fuck's sake. So this language, the language that is anti-Semitic, it is not strange that when we talk about money and Jews, when we talk about Jews hypnotizing the world, that people's ears prick up. Also, they, they certainly prick up when it happens multiple times. And when that person is in Congress and you know, I, I'm not making this point myself, but it's obviously true that when that Congresswoman is a Muslim, then there is obviously a a, a very particular attention. Not it's not a binary issue. Obviously, Republicans don't give a fuck about anti-Semitism in the way they, they claim to. They don't. They really don't. They 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 do like the cudgel. In the same way, in Virginia, you see Republicans having concern for blackface no. and women's <laughs> issues. I mean, come on, guys! Well, also, I mean, it's a, pl- a political issue. Obviously. On the
4: left, you know, dog whistles and intersectionality are a huge deal until this very moment. Exactly right. You know, like, um, and that's why I'm not really comfortable saying that I know what's going on in Representative Omar's heart. Uh, I do know that she's got a bit of a there's, there's a pattern here uh, and there's definitely decent enough reason to be suspicious. But we kind of are living in a zero tolerance world that a great portion of the left has endorsed, which is that dog whistles are a real thing. Uh, and that uh, bigotry in any form is, is there should be zero tolerance and you should be expunged from public life.
1: I think Anthony did a very good job of saying what I was trying to say, and I blame it on the fact that my blood sugar is at about 60 <laughs> yeah. right now. But it is true. Oh, like the, Camille- do- the dog whistle thing that is that that that, uh, you know, is, you know, no pazaran, No one shall pass this kind of. But it, this is obviously the, 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 the
0: time when it does. Camille, sorry. It's not really just a matter of saying things that are loaded with connotations that, you know, there's not another reason to say it. I mean, it's not as though a lot of people, you you know, black people love fried chicken, black people love watermelon. That I think is a a pretty specific sort of thing to say to use the word hypnotized in some context. For example, there are innocuous contexts in which someone might say that Um, there are innocuous contexts in which someone might in a political setting talk about your positions, and perhaps not even talk about your positions, just suggest that you're taking money from these people. Therefore, you've reached these conclusions for bad reasons. It's true. That happens in a bunch of contexts. There is something that is unique that is playing out in our politics right now, where once there are particular political donors who are giving you money to say anything about the fact that there are certain elites that are paying you money, um, to mention them by name is to be lambasted as an anti-Semite, and I, I think that it it does seem to be happening, like with a with a much greater frequency. Um, and as you have all, I think, pointed out and highlighted, the parallel to what I've often observed and I'm often talking about in the context of people who are screaming racism, um, the similarities are really eerie, and I think there are a lot of smart, sensible people who talk about this rise in anti-Semitism that they're observing right now. And it seems to me that there is certainly a rise in allegations of anti-Semitism, but it matters if the people who are who are being accused of anti-Semitism are, are running away from the allegation and are issuing statements that talk about anti-Semitism being real and suggesting that they're grateful for their Jewish allies as opposed to sort of screaming death to Israel. I, I think there's a profound difference between the two things.
1: You're right and you're wrong in a, in, in a few in a few ways. I think that I will say that you're you're right in one sense, is that I do think it's quite ridiculous that if someone were to say um, in that position, whether a, a person in Congress were to say that there are people in the pro-Israel lobby that are successful at lobbying, that change people's minds on this issue, if you were to say that, You could expect to be criticized for it. I think, Camille, you're right about that. And I think it's absurd to think otherwise. And I think the people that would also agree with you on that were the people who work at AIPAC, because they acknowledge they're lobbyists and they acknowledge that they're trying to sway people's opinions. And they do that by bringing people to Israel, uh, people in Congress. I've been to Israel uh, with AIPAC because they offered and I said, yes, why would I not? It's a free trip. And I I have a strong enough brain, I would hope, that I could cut through propaganda. And by the way, oftentimes they bring people who know, agree with them broadly, and they just, you know, try to solidify positions. So, yeah, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong that people come out with, you know, knives out for somebody when they say, you know, these, you know, lobbyists for Israel are, are changing people's mind. And we wish they weren't with their money because I, that I don't think does, yeah, I, yeah, ahead, do, does that happen a lot? I don't know. I think does. less so. I think less so than people people say. I mean, how often do you yeah, hear
3: Shad- Sheldon Adelson invoked yeah. as like, yeah. like uh, oh look, he's today he, a few times. I heard yeah. him, uh, um, but, and I, I don't think that the people who invoke Sheldon Adelson as having an undue influence on sure. Republican Party politics are typically treated as anti-Semitic. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's true either. Mm-hmm. But I mean, because
1: you know Harry Reid can say that in Nevada and not be called an antisemite. I think that's true. And I also think language is important, right? I think it is important for people. When they say, think of it this way: that the 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 sort of transatlantic alliance that we have in England became something of a hot button issue from 2003 throughout the end of the Iraq War, and so people had a word. And I can, if I just said that, I think one of you will guess it. What was the word that was used when they talked about Tony Blair vis-a-vis America? Poodle, exactly. Poodle, right. There's no historical connotations that are ugly about poodle. But when you say things like hypnotizing the world, when you use the imagery, and it's always the same one, and I can find you a lot of modern examples of it, of an octopus smothering the globe. It usually has a star of David on its forehead. Yeah. <laughs> That's you know not something you say with America and Tony Blair. So the, this con- these connotations are out there, and I think they're used on purpose for some some people. Maybe it gets into the bloodstream of other people and they don't realize the connotation of it. That's possible. I can't prove or disprove that, but. Yeah, it is important. The language that you use when talking about this stuff and anti-Semitic language is a real thing. The money aspect of it, and I'm going to make a real
4: quick point, the money aspect of it, to focus on the money aspect of it, I think that's the that's the closest uh, meritable anti-Semitic trope I can I can see recently because there's a ton of money coming from a ton of uh, lobbyists uh, who are serving foreign interests. You know, Saudi Arabia has lobbies. Uh, we are still doing a lot of the bidding of Saudi Arabia, even though it's less popular now post Jamal Khashoggi. But um, the the idea that politicians are being bought off, uh, as opposed to serving the interests of their constituents, who may uh, work at weapons you know factories, uh, that's not it's 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 never used in that it's never phrased that way. It's never like Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia has hypnotized Congress
1: with their money. The the complaint that you often hear from people that care about this issue and side with Israel more often than not. Um, and the, by the way, there's a reason I, I stopped being interested in this ishu- issue. I think it's too toxic. There, there are too many toxic people involved in it. There are too many people that are psychotic involved in it. On all sides, people get, get too upset at you if you if you step on the wrong landmine, right? It's just, everyone right. goes after you. Um I, I you going to clarify that so, to me, I'll just say this final point is that it is one thing, it, and, and I think that I, I don't think, I know I agree with them on this, is that the people that defend Israel say, why are you focusing so exclusively on us? And I think it's a fair point. And if you go to Europe, and this is where it kind of changed my mind, and thing, if you look at Swedish newspapers, Norwegian newspapers, the amount of coverage, negative coverage they give to this tiny little country in the Middle East is astonishing, they do not give that level of coverage to kosovar albanians when they're talking about palestinians this has been an issue that grew up especially on the european left because let us remember and they've kind of they've kind of taken this cause in its new form and what do i mean by that i mean the new form is religious form because prior to the sort of mid 90s where you see islamic jihad it's actually mid early 80s when when in, in lebanon in particular and southern lebanon where israel was occupying at the time it didn't have a religious component as much as it did to, does today. If you look at groups like the PFLP, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is very popular amongst European leftists, they were Marxists. It was a Marxist group. That's why people from the Meinhof Gang did training in the Jordanian desert and brought their kids and all this stuff. And that's why you see a joint operation, by the way, in a um, you know, hijacking of a plane in Entebbe with German leftists and pro-Palestinian groups, because they were both leftists. They were all leftist groups. So that is, I think, why it was carried into the bloodstream of European politics and became this. this But at this point, the obsession is a little
4: discomfort. The UN UN has uh, issued condemnations of Israel more than any other nation combined. And, you know, like there's still slavery in the world. There's still genocide in the world. There's still gulags in the world. So it is disproportionate. Real, real quick, the uh, Representative Omar, but well before she was in Congress, the, the exact tweet was: "Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil things, evil doings of Israel." So it was Allah, not Muhammad. Yeah. By the way, that's how dumb I am about,
1: about religion. <laughs> I was like Muhammad, Allah. I don't know. They're all the same.
3: Uh, yeah. I, but yes. Anyway, um, I, I I was wrong about that. I'm glad you it. I think me. there's a there's a commonality between Omar and um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez that we shouldn't uh, discount, which is that they're children. Um yeah. and they're frequently silly. All right, three weeks ago, uh, Omar says, uh, tweets out about Lindsey Graham. They got to him; he is compromised. That's right? Yeah, we talked about three this. weeks ago. This this happened, right? And this is because back three or four years ago, Lindsey Graham was criticizing Donald Trump as a bigot, and now he's carrying water for him. She went on CNN afterwards and and, and cross examined by people saying. I'm pretty sure that there's something happening with him. He is somehow compromised. Um, uh, We have to make sure that he's fighting to protect the oath that he took in serving the American people. That's pretty dual loyalty stuff right there on on, uh, the surface of it. It's a really free accusation of... Incredible perfidy out there, and just kind of loose and free out there. Even uh, in uh, again under cross examination from uh, journalists, there—that's where she's kind of coming from. You can you can get to this period or this place of. Demonizing someone and making a very heavy suggestion that they might be working for another foreign country, or they might have some uh, something, or that, that he might be gay, that, that, he, might was, be gay. that was, he might be gay, and might be being think blackmailed the yeah. uh, there, and she yeah. and she was acting very strange and in and, and all this kind of stuff. That that is the activity of a silly person. In this in, yeah. and the way reason I bring up Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is. You know, this is a person who said uh, ten days ago what that, that uh, the world's going to end in twelve years. I think it's fifteen years, right? Or is it is it 12? No, no, twelve? No, it was
0: twelve. Twelve. Good to know. Uh, she also
3: said, God, uh, "I hope she's right." <laughs> <in a speech laughs> about like how we should abolish ice and whatever. Um, that um, that everybody who is Latino uh, should never be uh, deported. They because they're Latino, um, and this even if they don't didn't grow up here in any way. So they're <sighs> Latino, and they're from like, Argentina. Uh, and and but they should be able to come here because they're latino and we we came to their lands first right and these these Sub- are not- suggesting they have native native American ancestry
0: um and I- ignoring the fact that a lot of folks immigrated yeah, and do we
1: deport people who are sort of European? latinos i you know what i from what i understood
3: because i this is the thing about dumb
1: uh, americans are really dumb about this is that when you go to a country like argentina you can be like a rich guy that has a name like rodriguez come to america and be a latino and then where you're in argentina you're the oppressor there's also <laughs> yeah. japanese argentines yeah, and well, brazilians yeah, yeah, and yeah, they've, yeah. they've been prime ministers I, and, <laughs> <El> Gino, as, <laughs> and i'm pretty sure as he was called <laughs> el chino despite the fact that he was japanese the neil <laughs> young
4: song yeah. correct
3: me if i'm wrong yeah. it wasn't cortez the lover <laughs> right, right. It was what was yeah. it? Cortez the. Well, it the, was the Cortez the the one who's going to try to convince you. No, her. it was Cortez yeah. the fucking killer. Yeah, like, yeah. like the yeah. the Spanish were the worst. Yeah. They were the absolute worst in the in uh, in the in the Americas. So, so she says silly things all the time, and I think this is. Part of our politics right now and the political discussion that's around it, um, and maybe this is even a segue into the way that uh, the Green New Deal and its fucking talking points I think it's a good segue. were, uh, were uh, kind of uh, treated in the media and massaged uh, over this past weekend, you have really silly people saying very, very silly things. All the time, right now, there's, there's, there's been someone cut the wires, and now the helium's just kind of floating yeah. up into the to the universe here. Um, and it's amazing to watch the kind of journalistic mismatch in the way that people appropriate uh, uh, react to that.
1: Yeah, I will say that it, that it is good. Uh, it is a good transition, and we can talk Thank about you. that <laughs> uh, because I don't have a ton to say about it. Um, but the one thing that makes me hopeful about this is that I was a little worried that with the this kind of endless, nonstop farrago of bullshit and stupidity from the president, who embarrasses himself literally every day, so much so that when the president can tweet um, a positive thing about North Korea and its potential economic future, and it's going to be great because the scumbag Dauphin of the horrible scumbag that died recently, the little fat boy, the little round-faced psycho, that he's going to do great. We don't even notice it. Nobody talked about this, by the way. Nobody talked about this. And it is not even a technique because we remember we thought that the president was playing 4D chess for about a half a second and just realized, no, 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 the, f- the sheer volume of idiocy is because he's an idiot and he has the microphone in front of him and a tweet in his hand. And so therefore, it's just going to be a high volume of stupidity. I was worried in some sense that that would destroy all of our standards and we'd stop paying attention to anything. And we just allow this amount of stupidity to go. I like the fact that we have ignored him in some ways because he just can't keep up. And we are actually applying the old standards to these new people in Congress and just like, ah not saying, oh, you know what? President's an idiot. She's an idiot. Who cares that we're just kind of discounting him and treating these people who are getting these these, these great accolades from from so many people in the media and and giving them the tough time that they deserve. I don't think that they can't recover from this and that they can't be decent politicians for their own side. But it's a bad start. And I think the bad start is because everyone is so excited that there's somebody who appears to be quote-unquote young. And by the way, this is the kind of a Jill Abramson problem, is that the way she describes young people is somebody who – is going to talk about, you know, the guy from Vice who's wearing a zoot suit. I mean, it's, it is so confused <laughs> and so stupid. They refer to my friend, she refers to my friend, Thomas Morton, as uh, wearing T-shirts with ironic slogans on them, which Thomas <laughs> told me was the most offensive thing he'd ever read about himself. <laughs> Thomas Wears, by the way, who's a great guy, brilliant guy and, and a dear friend, wears like ill-fitting like corduroy suits and not because he's ironic, just because he's not paying attention. And that's very Thomas. But this is kind of the way that, that journalists are talking about, about these young bucks the young guns and they're real young guns they're real cool people that you know say cool things they're democratic socialists and everything and in doing that we've allowed them to not only move the Overton window but to just you know really i can't i just want somebody to say about some people i won't say anyone in particular they're just not very bright Sorry, they're just not, they're not trained in this you stuff. You mean, you mean women in general, right? Uh, <laughs> I meant particularly, I, I was, I was going to make a joke that I was, nobody would take as a joke and then I'd get yeah, fucking fired. I, know, I, know. I can't, this is what sucks yeah. about 2019. It was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty funny joke, but I can't say it. <laughs> You can't say the joke You can allude to for, it for, I can allude for, to for, it for,
4: for premium fifth column members You will get the joke later
1: Exactly we Don't lie them Don't Saturday. lie to them Because every they're. single time of, We do that They you, think it's if true If you say I used to ask people To send happen. me like uh, uh, Bitcoin but it's not worth Anything anymore yeah. If you send me cash <laughs>
2: I'll
1: say the joke You just can't afford it to anyone because then that would be bad, and i get fired. <laughs> there,
4: there isn't much else to say other than you, you referred to them as children, which I actually think is a bit condescending, because they're,
3: they're adults. I meant it. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I mean it as condescending. Yeah, yeah. I like—I actually <laughs> mean it as condescending. I love the
1: fact that Anthony's so earnest and nice that he thought that you just made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I think this was, is why I I'm, because I'm, they're young. I'm and, and,
3: objectively pro-Amy Klobuchar at this point, because she actually treats her she staff and... like garbage yeah. because yeah. they can't spell. Yeah, right. fuck, that's <laughs> By the way, act. why exactly why uh-huh is that a problem
1: she's gonna be president throw a fucking bind, you know that stranded preposition binder throw it at the face stop using the word community yes absolutely did she say that yeah oh my god she's my president (laughs) community (laughs) you know you know you know what amy i could be your fucking press secretary you know how amy you want me on your you want me in your team i know you do you want me in your team i give you a fucking tip Here it is. Go out, throw a fucking stapler at somebody in your office (laughs) who uses the phrase self-care. Hit him. (laughs) Hit him with a stapler. I'm on your team. Okay, Klobuchar, you're from where is she? She's from Minnesota, Minnesota. You know why I like her also is Klobuchar. And I kept on thinking it was Knobloch. It's very similar (laughs) to to Chuck Knobloch. She's got the yips. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the word for onion in German. That's right. right. Um, Yes.
0: Before we dive into the (sighs) Green New Deal thing, uh, before we dive in there, I want to I want to take one fucking (laughs)
1: self-care. I want to take one last stab at this.
0: What are you taking a stab at? That, that's just up? it. I'm I'm about to take my stab. Give me my oh, shooting shot. Man. Oh,
1: you're gonna take a stab.
0: <laughs> um that was Camille who said that. <laughs> All right, go for it, Camille. There's what I find particularly troubling about the representative Omar thing, and I mentioned the Virginia stuff uh a moment ago, but we didn't really open that up very much. Um but in the Virginia situation, with the exception of, I think, the sexual assault allegations, perhaps we can sort of set to the side and just talk about the the blackface and the brownface, which if I'm saying brownface, I don't mean that someone is dressing up like a Latina. I'm saying that you're just putting on cosmetics in order to look like someone, um, in order to, to – Pay homage to them, um, not in order to sort of steal jobs from Michael Jackson. Uh, let's say you put on some brown makeup and you do a moonwalk so that you can better resemble Michael Jackson. Um, the conflation. You, should, if you want to do that?
1: You should just molest kids. <laughs>
0: oh, <geez. laughs> what? Why
1: is everyone looking at me like that's crazy? I didn't I
0: didn't molest the you molest your kids. That's I, a good
1: impression of him. The conflation. Continue. Sorry.
0: The, the conflation of blackface with someone just applying makeup in order to look like Michael Jackson. Um, or applying makeup in some other context in order to look like some other prominent black person, um, I think there's a problem there. I think there's a problem with with that. I think there's a problem with the broader trend of this kind of forensic project where you go and search through someone 's history to try to find evidence that they might believe terrible things in a way that is sort of that is evidence of their most fundamental defect. and I think it matters when representative Omar even even with some of the historical things that she's tweeted that I I would agree have been somewhat dodgy, um, even with the association with the Nation of Islam because I know she published something in the Final Call, although it was something that I think was innocuous and completely unoffensive.
4: I think you I think you said Omar published it, but it was yeah. it was Representative Talib. Yeah, yeah. So we both.
0: Uh, go on. Sorry, but but even even with some of those associations and and not the one that I misattributed to her. Um, I definitely think it's appropriate to contemplate the context and the actual substance of the things that people are saying, as as you've pointed out, Moynihan, when we are dealing with uh, the most devastating not allegation, condemnation that we can put on someone. Yeah. Being an anti-Semite, you are a racist. You are a person who believes that people are fundamentally defective because of their ethnic, because of their ethnicity, because of their religious beliefs or traditions. Um, to the extent you're not that thing, it, it matters. And to the extent that people are saying, I'm not that. In fact, I don't want to be that. I think that is bad. I repudiate it. I think there's something wrong when we have so many people that are so eager to embrace Those those condemnations for the most petty um, and sort of self serving reasons. Yeah, Camille, I think you're right. Can I ask you a question though? Do you think do you think that there's a different
1: standard for kind of hanging around and to use the Obama era election term, palling around with anti semites, used on the Bill Ayers thing? Do you think there's like a lower kind of threat to people not care as much, I guess what I mean, is that if you're spotted running the Women's March and running um, with Lewis Farrakhan, people care less than if you're running a Senate campaign, and you're hanging out with David Duke. And there's kind of not too much of a difference between the two of them. I don't
0: think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to ask questions about those associations. Um, I don't think it's sufficient to say that someone has yeah. uh, an association with someone who's bad and that's it. You are a member of that bad, unacceptable tribe. You have been spotted with that bad, unacceptable person. Therefore, you are unacceptable. It's it's a cheap way to avoid dealing with the substance of someone's position in many cases. Um, and the fact that you sort of want to defeat them politically um, but it has consequences, so I think it's fair to ask questions about that. But,
1: but, but Camille, hold on.
0: Let me let me challenge, let me
1: challenge you on this. Let me challenge you this on your own stuff, though. Go for it. Because you've said you have criticized in on this podcast the woman from the Women's March, Tamika Mallory, I have. who is you know her associations are with somebody who's anti-Semitic or accused of anti-Semitism. Uh-huh. I would say he's an anti-Semite. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Does, does that not apply in this case too? That we should be a little just because she kind of hangs out with this guy. Does that? But make I her I've never that said
0: person? I've never said that Tamika is an anti semite. I think it's totally appropriate to ask Tamika tough questions about the relationships with these, that she has with those folks. Um, I think it's also appropriate when we're talking about charges of anti semitism or racism to to deal with those charges to 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 dispense them in a way that is. Sort of curious, that is compassionate, um, and that is serious. Someone someone might say it's credible or not, but what I've heard Tamika talk about this, and she says, look, the guy um is important in the black community, it's totally freaking true. You can disagree with someone fundamentally on some of the positions that they have, um, and still not think that they're an awful, irredeemable person. Maybe we draw that line in different places. There's that's undoubtedly the case. I think it's fair to criticize her. Um, but I, I do think it matters if she isn't tossing around anti-Semitic tropes. Um, and certainly we, we've talked in the past about sort of the, the long piece that was written about her. She denies those allegations. By Jake Siegel, by the way, has been a guest yeah. on us. Yeah, but even there, I mean, I think there's a fundamental difference between that and saying something online Back like last year uh, when Kevin McCarthy said something about we cannot allow Soros, Steyer and Bloomberg to buy this election, get out and vote Republicans November 6th. Is he saying that because they're prominent donors to Democrats who are billionaires, who he thinks he can demonize? Or is he saying it because he is an anti-Semite? I think both things are stupid. Um, I think one is actually reprehensible and awful and the other is just cheap. But it matters whether it's one or the other.
3: Well, point a point of, point of clarification, uh, Camille. You're saying let's let's take the uh, the uh, the serious critique seriously. So seriously, is it all about the Benjamins? <laughs> <laughs> Was it ever all about the Benjamins? And no, I'm I'm actually kind of serious. I don't understand the question. Clarify. Well, that's what uh, the rep- representative uh, Omar is getting beat up for, right? Is that? Oh, that's uh, right. She
0: did say it's she, all about the Benjamins. She says yeah. it's
3: all about the Benjamins. So, right. Um, to, say, is, to
0: say money money in politics perhaps is bad and no, is no, no, something no, no, that no, no, is – No, 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 no,
3: no, That's not bad. That's not money in politics is bad. Uh-huh. That is it is all about the Benjamins. Yeah. So, so what? Is it?
0: What does that mean? Is
3: it all about the Benjamins? Is that a, is that a, is that a serious critique? You're,
0: you're asking me if her critique is serious? Yeah. No, I don't think her critique is serious. I, but right. I, but the question is, does that make her an anti-Semite?
3: That, that's that's a question that is of interest to you. Well, It's, it's not, not just a
0: question of that's of interest to me. She's out there issuing apologies, and we're talking about it now because she's been condemned for being an anti-Semite.
3: Right. So if, if we're if we're talking even about a like a a, a serious joke or a serious line of critique, uh-huh. um. Uh saying that it's all about the Benjamins, um, uh regardless of any connotation associated with it, uh, it would be a saying that there is a class of people who are motivated primarily um by uh the lure of money here. Right. And that explains their decision making about a controversial topic. Right. Do you think that's do you think that's a legitimate critique? No, Even I think like it's, like I, shades of it? No, I think it's stupid. Yeah. I think it's stupid. I think it's the same thing that uh, that Ocasio Cortez did the other day. I would I would suggest that that um, it's worth at all times, while all the, uh, the, the 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 shiny bubbles and the fights and the, the things that are happening at all times, um, to also point out that these things that these children, uh, which I say pejoratively, mm-hmm. are saying are totally stupid. They say it's all about the measurements, kind of funny, but it's totally fucking stupid. It's totally stupid. It's a shallow line. But is show it, me, isn't it the same as Kevin McCarthy
0: talking about Soros Steyer and Bloomberg buying the election? It's, it's the same sentiment, th- isn't it?
3: Uh, did, No, because it's not it's all about. It's like, I don't like these billionaires. <laughs> um <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's actually kind of different. Like if, if it is all about the Benjamins, um, then, then this is luring people. This is changing their minds about something. And this is the challenge that I, I present, not just to Omar or her, or, or uh, supporters or detractors, but also people who are, or, are, uh, are sliming, you know, Jill Stein and Tulsi Gabbard and God knows who and Rand Paul, whoever is not being interventionist enough on foreign policy, um, Show me where someone changed their mind. That is where there is a lobby with a capital L, right? When if if a politician spent 20 years on Capitol Hill saying Turkey sucks and then goes and lobbies for turkeys, it's all about the Benjamins. That's what all about the Benjamins means. Like have some fucking idea about people. Going outside of their normal interests, their normal path, their normal conclusions that they would come through, through their ideology, and where did their behavior change? What I don't see in a lot of the critiques of people who are supporting Omar right now is, show me the politician who changed his or her mind yeah. based on some kind it, of lobbying money. It's
1: a, it's a fair... Show me. I actually it's asked her that direct, directly
4: um, yeah. on Twitter.
1: I know. Yeah. You, good luck getting a response. Well, it was, it's funny because she, yeah. she responded to some other reporters. With who some, said the
4: same thing? Well, just a little, you know, a little more mealy-mouthed.
1: but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, um, but, you know, it is it is the thing is that, you know, it is the absence of evidence doesn't really matter so much anymore, provided it fits a, a narrative that we all know to be true, despite the fact that it might not be true. Right. I mean, it, even in, in in Virginia, it's like people asking this guy to resign and, you know, impeachment proceedings of like there are serious charges. Yeah. But like, I mean, are they true? I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe the guy's a monster. Who knows? But the evidence seems to be a secondary tertiary Thing these days. I mean, I think the, the, the thing that offends me most about the, all about the Benjamins tweet is the fact that all of these, uh, you know, freshmen, congresswomen, congressmen too, are desperate to try to show everyone that they're young. That's the most offensive thing. You're saying all about the Benjamins. Oh, I see. You're making a hip hop reference. I get it. You're, you're cool. 20 year old puffy (laughs) reference. That wasn't even cool in 1997. I know. I know. It's like, could you make a reference? That was a hit. You should. It'd be great if like somebody made a reference to like Big Bank Hank from the Sugar (laughs) Hill (laughs) Gang. Who, by the way, is dead. Rest in peace, Hank. Four out of four. That was so back was when hip hop used to have guys in it called fucking Hank, <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, you know C Murder, yeah. like yeah whatever. I'm not a murderer. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a fucking blue v neck, light blue v neck, and my name's Hank. So said, so unless you, unless you there's you any more, unless C there's C any murder. murder. C, yeah, he's. I, you know why? You know why I mentioned him? Which is also an old school reference because his name's C Murder and he went to prison for murder, yeah. which I think is really. It's like he was in. He was in in front of the judge and he was like, "Isn't it my name, C Murder? I'm innocent. <laughs> no, you know so you're not. Unless we got any, you called C Murder, brother. Sorry. I have low blood I was 68. My blood sugar is 68. Maybe
0: we should transition over to the uh, to the Green New Deal stuff because we, we teased it. We didn't really go there. There's two things that we could talk about. We could talk about the substantive policy proposal. Um, but I mean, this we're talking about a non-binding um, resolution is essentially a statement of the fantasy vision that the Democratic Party has for all of the things that they would do if they could do anything that they wanted to do. And the the real controversy here in the last couple of days uh, appears to be that when this massive thing was being rolled out, something that has been talked about for as as long as Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has been on the scene, uh, during the during the process of this rollout, there was a, a frequently asked questions document that was posted on the web by Ocasio Cortez's team. And it created a great deal of confusion. Now, Fisher, I know your team amongst a lot of people in DC has been digging into this. It actually has
4: swallowed my life for the last 72 hours. The uh, Ocasio-Cortez team, the chief of staff specifically, because we, you know, someone was able to get into the, you know, uh, the CMS and see who uploaded it and when, um, uploaded this document, which was also circulated to the Washington Post and NPR. So it's, It's a little tough to say it was an accident. If it was an accident, it was a real serious accident. Um, And people seized upon more than anything, like you mentioned the train travel, but more than anything, people seized upon one particular phrase about paying people, quote unquote, unwilling to work. And over the 24 hours, even people on the center left, you know, uh, like Noah Smith. And uh, I don't even know where he's on the uh, the spectrum, but certainly sympathetic to a lot of Democratic uh, policies lately. Uh, Slate wrote a critical article. <laughs> Noah about, Smith <laughs> is on the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pull that no, out. No, but. Yeah, yeah. Thank, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Noah uh, Slate wrote a critical article uh, about that particular policy. And then 24 hours later, uh, that entire Frequently Asked Questions uh, document was pulled from Ocasio-Cortez's website. Uh, one of her advisors, who's a Cornell professor, went on Tucker Carl, Carlson's show, uh, and when he was directly asked by Tucker Carlson about that particular point, said, I don't know what you're talking about. That's one of those Republican-created fake documents that's floating around. And to be clear, that dude looked like he raised your head. It (laughs) was not important Thank you, Matt. That's a David Lynch reference. Yes. So um, the the point is that that guy was either lying through his teeth or had absolutely no clue what he was talking about. The, The fact was there was one, maybe one stupid Obvious fake document that was being floated around by some, you know, MAGA personalities on Twitter. But they, the the document that had unwilling to work absolutely came from ocasio Cortez's team, was circulated to to journalists, and it got pushed back. So they tried to pull it down, and in the resolution that they did submit, the, the the one that they want everyone to pay attention to now, doesn't have that in there. So. On Saturday her chief of staff took to Twitter saying, "Hey, my bad, it was an accident. We're we're new at this. Give us a break. Let's just focus on the the resolution that we submitted. Nothing to see here." They would not the you know, it wasn't just my the the journalists that um, report to me. There's journalists all over the place that were trying to get a hold of Ocasio-Cortez's team from Friday afternoon all the way till Sunday morning. And they were stonewalling. And every every public announcement that they made confused the issue further. Um, One journalist who was able to get an actual direct response from Ocasio-Cortez on Twitter was Jeff Stein from The Washington Post, who uh, co-bylined an article today with our pal Dave Weigel that, in my opinion, was way too credulous of Ocasio-Cortez's team's assertions about what was going on. The advisor, or the advisor's name was Robert Hackett. He's a Cornell professor who was on Tucker Carlson's show. head. Yes. And he he said that the, uh, the document that cl- contained the phrase unwilling to work had been, quote-unquote, doctored. And in Stein and Weigel's article on The Washington Post, it says... Huckett thought Carlson was referring to a parody of the Green New Deal circulated by right-wing activists. How do you know that that's what he thought? Why are you taking his word for it? These people have been stonewalling you all weekend.
1: There's so a- it- Also, also the, the the parody was so clearly a parody yeah. that yeah. I don't yeah. – it's astonishing that anyone would even respond to that. So it, it, it gets even more annoying. And I would also to- say, what do you mean, the jokey one? Yeah. The jokey one with the thing? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that was – that's not doctored, by the way. Yeah. It's not a doctored version. It's a parody yeah. version. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I can't believe that anyone would buy that. So, uh, it's ridiculous.
4: So Jeff Stein does a tweet thread today because uh, I guess they spent all weekend putting together this article, uh, and he he outlines kind of a TikTok uh, of what happened, which starts out sort of correct. AOC's staff distributes a frequently asked questions page. Uh, AOC's advisor on Tucker Carlson says it's doctored after blowback. AOC staff acknowledges writing the frequently asked questions after blowback means after you were caught lying, you acknowledge that you wrote it. Yeah. Uh, and so then Stein keep, can, keeps going in this uh, tweet thread um, saying uh, that they were AOC's team were clearly uh, slow to acknowledge that uh, that they had released this. They've been inundated for months with attacks by the right on her appearance, oh, dance dear. moves, and thousands of other things of varying validity. Oh God! And now, wait, that but, was in the post report. No, this
1: is this is the or Twitter thread where he's he's selling the article that he wrote with Weigel. Uh, and by and- the way, I just want to say that I like him generally, yeah. and yeah. of course I love Davies, an old yeah. pal. But wait, and, and and to be clear, this is in uh, tweet and not his article. Yeah. The dance thing. Haven't we already debunked that? Yeah, too? That, that no, no mainstream Nobody, like, conservatives, no, no, actually no, no
4: conservatives at all, except for anonymous accounts seem to have attacked that dance. She there. So bad. I so mean, she's third, mostly the
0: riding the wave on that thing, though. Right. I mean, she was celebrating how great she is and how great her dancing is. Yeah. And her dancing was pretty. Good. <laughs> yeah.
4: So here's, here's the here's the wor- here's the worst part of it, in my opinion. And I don't know Jeff Stein. I, I, I generally like him. I follow him on Twitter. Uh, So he's he's the the original tweet has the article he wrote with Weigel. He's now doing a tweet thread that is continuing to run interference for a politician and their team who bald faced lied all weekend. uh, And a lot of journalists, you know, including people I work with, took a lot of heat for being too credulous. Uh, and the 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 final tweets in this tweet storm is AOC's goal is now to push people to discuss the substance of the G N D, many view as the only solution to an existential threat to humanity. This weekend Trump said snow in Minnesota in February diminished the reality of climate change. And then he includes a link to Ocasio-Cortez's bill. It's 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 practically doing PR. That's I mean it's that is just doing I, it. It's, it's so disappointing and outrageous. And and if I was like and I'm personally I have no dog in this fight. I've, I'm you know, I pretty much hate every politician. There's no politicians I, I carry water for. I don't know if Je- what Jeff Stein's politics are. Uh, but the, the idea that somebody could be, use, like a politician and their team could be using you for the whole weekend, lying to you, throwing up smoke screens, and then your response is to write a credulous article and a tweet storm selling their points.
1: By the way, I, I know that the weight of these things and the importance of these things are different because Donald Trump became the president of the United States of America and he's a very powerful and pernicious figure. But. Can we do what we have done for Donald Trump prior to his election in November two thousand sixteen, and get a measure of the media's obsession with AOC? Hmm. Because how would, how would you measure that? I how do you measure the Trump one? We did it obviously with with, air air with, ra- with rallies air and time. general airtime, yeah. the rally thing, some certain weight. I don't know how you'd how you'd give it that way, but you know we managed to do it for that. You know. Cortez, how many people voted in that election? 15,000
4: uh, voted for her. I think uh, there, I don't know how many voted vote for, for Crowley, Crowley but yeah. she got 15,000 votes. Uh,
1: 15,000 votes, right? And it's a, you know, in Queens, look, I don't deny I've interviewed her. I've interviewed her the day after she won. And I had a nice conversation with her. I, I liked her personally. I wasn't impressed with her in the way that certain politicians have impressed me and have this sort of magnetism. I mentioned Tony Blair when I interviewed Tony Blair. I was like, I get why people actually really enjoyed this guy and why he won and changed kind of the direction of the Labour Party in so many ways that people didn't kind of expect it to change and are now trying to change it back. Right. I get I but I got his magnetism. And again, nothing to do with his politics, whether or not I agree with him. It made sense. She was just like, ah, she was just like, you know, interesting. And and I liked her. And that was pretty much it. And by the way, I have to find this. I don't I will say this and 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 look it up. Um, I said to her that didn't you call ice a bunch of Nazis and she corrected me and I was wrong actually. And I was rushed into this interview. I didn't know I was doing it. And she said, actually, no, that was uh, Joe Crowley who did. And it was Joe, Joe Crowley who, who was trying to keep up with her and kind of when she started catching on trying to add progressive her, but she more or less said that she agreed that they were fat. I was like, Oh God, this is, and to see her at the center of all this media attention and mainstream reporters it seemed to be going to kind of great lengths to defend her. And again, I, I don't, don't could care less about her. I don't think she's going to have a long-term impact on the Democratic Party. You c- can come back to this and embarrass me, and I probably will be embarrassed by it. I, that, but my instinct now is that the general direction of the party and all these people lurching to the left in uh, 2020, I mean, everybody, I think that's a big mistake and 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 I could be proven wrong with this and and I I hope I'm not but the thing about her is that when are we going to stop when are we going to say okay we're kind of out of out of love with this person now and it's like second she's in this amazing retort to blah 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 and I watch it and I'm like what the fuck am I missing it's it's like watching roma nothing's happening why am i supposed to love this movie I like promo. <laughs> you know what what you know i get it it's great it's black and white good go go fucking get an enchilada that's fine it's what's happening go get a go get us something to eat it's great it's a movie it's great I, get something to eat. I see this with her i'm like here he is here she is on the house floor she's just knocking people out and i watch i'm like that's eh, really not that great well, I, I mean, don't know what I'm missing. I mean, it looks, it and looks by like, the way, the tweets aren't. She's. It's like, oh, she's the master of social media. It's like, yeah, because she's a politician. But if she was like one of anybody else, you'd be like, you wouldn't even notice her. Like, well, part I, of what she does. I is, don't think she's that great. I is, think she is, also has a
3: team of people. Is to part of what oh. uh, Trump does, which is like she says crazy ass shit. And so you have to spend 12 hours. You don't have to spend, but the but the the media industrial complex spends 12 hours saying, My God, can you believe she said this crazy ass shit? By the way, can
1: I this is the most unpopular opinion I'll ever publicly air. And like I am kind of reticent in saying it. It's like the problem is she's not as funny as Trump trump is funny i like he's fucking a psychopath and i think that he's the worst president that we've probably she ever had but to, but to the resistance but she she is funny. she's
4: got she's got like the snl uh late night type funny. funniness no, she's, which, is, which is which is like that it's applause for line a Democrat, funny. she's yeah.
1: pretty funny i for, don't like, know do you think so and i want i i expect her to be funny. i want her to be funny and i don't take credits away from her. if i agree with her disagree i don't give a shit i just like, certainly like, now frank i just want to I mean, everybody's funnier than Al Franken. I mean, the so only, the only thing he yeah, yeah, Jagger is great. Uh, kind yeah. of. Kind <laughs> yeah. of. But like most of the time he had like a fucking crash helmet on with a satellite dish on it on the news on the SNL. Do you remember that? Yes. Do you remember that character? Yeah, yeah. I was like, what is this? He's not funny. But, you know, I just, I don't think, she, I don't think she's the most hilarious person in the world. I'm just missing something. I withhold the possibility that I might be wrong about this, but I just don't get the appeal. So Camille, what do you got? What do you got?
0: Uh, about AOC and the right. Green New Deal.
1: Yeah, I love the fact right. when Camille's at home <laughs> on remote, he's literally got it on mute, and he's like in the fridge right now.
0: No, yeah. no, I'm no, no pants listening in, Jello Pops. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm listening <laughs> in. Compl-
3: what the fuck? Okay. I, I just pictured him in a big bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but where did he get
1: to Cosby?
3: <laughs> what? Well, why would you have a huge mansion in Bed Unless you were going full Cosby with the bathrobe, the full Cosby calls. means something else to me. <laughs> <laughs> else you? Yeah, that the Huxtables that's lived in Brooklyn that. Heights, and I would yeah. never go. Well, full Well, actually, Cosby.
1: I think they lived in Philadelphia.
4: Uh, no, they, 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 it, was, it was supposed to. Be, I mean, it was supposed to be Brooklyn Heights. What really? Yeah, the exterior. I think we've already had this one conversation. <laughs> on this Brooklyn podcast, by the Brooklyn Heights or Harlem?
0: I thought it was Harlem. God, you're all wrong. No, you're all wrong. It doesn't matter. Yeah. By the way, just you're not Bill Cosby. I don't compare to that. Continue. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, because comparing the two of us is completely racist there's no other reason why i would make that um sorry I got, I got it here confirmed you it know it from it.
4: brownstone in brooklyn heights mic drop wow. uh, co- wow. yeah
0: <laughs> by the way uh,
1: why am i supposed to trust you i confirmed it like yeah tell me from where oh from where from oh it's wikipedia don't fuck with wikipedia yeah. all right all right go ahead <laughs> yeah there's never never
3: anything fraudulent there can also by the way Um, Did you still like edit a a newspaper in Prague, Michael, and on Wikipedia or they they fixed that one? They fixed that one. Fat
1: Albert and the Cosby
0: Kids was set in Philadelphia.
3: There you go. That's That's right.
1: It's it's not
0: Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, right? No, there was I think there was a
1: it was either Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids uh, is the actual technical name of the show. Where was Leonard Part Six shot? Uh it was <laughs> yeah, probably shot in Albania <laughs> to get tax credits or something. Uh,
0: I, I did not know that it was called Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. That's, That's where that wild. joke comes
4: from I got to take the Cosby Kids to the pool.
1: Yeah, oh here we go.
0: Mm. Right, we can cut that uh, out. Too. We're, a we're cut out to cut that. out That's good to know. Junkyard so, Band. You got anything Camille? yeah. Go? No, I Acacia Cortez. I I agree. Start here. <laughs> <Dear. laughs> Start now. Quite overrated. Um I completely concur on that score. That said, the media obsession with Ocasio-Cortez is tracking with the fact that so many people in her party are eager to to align themselves with her political positions because they have a sense that there's a lot of momentum there. Um, And I suspect a lot of that comes from the fact that Bernie Sanders, as has been reported in a number of instances, routinely shows up really, really high um, on these polls about politicians who you most trust. Um, and she is the heir apparent to Bernie Sanders. Um, it's not as though you know journalists are the only people desperate to see her run. I've talked to sort of friends who are not in the media and they they love her. They think she's fantastic. Even if they agree that she's a little unserious and that some of her ideas are under underwhelming and half-baked, um, they think that her heart is in the right place and that she's good for the system and that she's shaking things up Um, And all of that, all of that, actually, that positive sentiment, despite the lack of substance, um, perhaps because of some inexperience in government, it sounds a hell of a lot like Donald Trump to me. It's the inexperienced, brash person who breaks the rules, who doesn't conform to standards, who essentially says the thing that sounds like it's right, that confirms to your gut understanding of how politics works. I mean, the fact is that as, as we were talking about money and politics earlier, lots of Americans think that money is the is the thing that causes policymakers to to stake out particular positions um, and that whoever has the most money wins. I think most people are shocked to learn that Donald Trump spent half of what Hillary Clinton did um, and still managed to win a national election. And one sixteenth of what Jeb Bush spent in the primaries too, right? I mean, the,
1: I guess the, I, I I get the point. I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't understand the attraction in the way, and to sort of suggest that it's to, to to sort of point out that it's not political. I do get Bernie Sanders. I actually do, and the reason I do is that you know, despite the silly Brooklyn accent that never left in that kind of odd Larry David like way of speaking, which to some people is charming, to a lot of people isn't, <laughs> is that he's a really good speaker he's a good public speaker he gives great speeches i've sat across from him i've interviewed him he's compelling to talk to and Mm. he is so sure of himself and he's got that thing where he goes after you like the billionaires and it's like oh my god the fucking billionaires (laughs) but for some reason it's like kind of electrifying in the same way that that trump the simple message he's not talking about fucking jacques derrida you know i'm sure I, I'm sure that Bernie Sanders probably has an opinion on Rosa Luxemburg, but he's not going to tell you about it. And I think that he's there's something good about it. He's very, very good. Tyson Cortez, I've seen her speak, and I just don't find her compelling. I don't think that she's a bad politician. I think she's gotten where she is because she's quite good at this. I, but that's quite separate from someone being compelling. Because, you know, I think Paul Simon, the the senator, not the musician— um, couldn't become president because he was a capable politician, but he wasn't very compelling. And I don't know why that, that people think she's compelling. I guess people think she's attractive. I mean, she's young. It's, you know, the ethnic diversity. She's radical. Yeah, I get all of that. But those are these indicators that, when put together, make an interesting package on paper. I can sell you something on paper, but it's like going on a, on a you know, Tinder date or something, and they look great in the profile, and you meet them like, yeah, it's all right. I, I don't know the, i don't get i just don't get it i the, honestly uh, don't
3: the the thing that worries me about all of it it's my taste i understand um, that. besides your taste <laughs> yeah she's just too short for you for being honest about how, that. How, how how big is she she's did, very did, i don't know i met did, her did, did, you're the one who met her oh know. she came in on a on a throne they get <laughs> <they, or they,
1: laughs> jeff stein carried her in on a, <laughs> uh, pulled her in on a golden rickshaw
3: that's and then i interviewed her on that. very funny um <laughs> I'll tell you the story about uh, my first ever movie review, which is about a Chinese movie called Rickshaw Boy. No, I, I,
1: I'm not. No, do not tell uh, that because uh, you want to
3: have it involves mushrooms. Um oh. and uh, and anyway, uh, but uh, that
0: thing that they carry you in on is called a litter, isn't it? Yeah, it's it called, depends yeah. on which
3: culture. Yeah, because huh? which culture, but the rickshaws are pulling things different. There is a, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we are veering very, uh, very uh, sharply towards utopia. Everyone loves the utopian. Bernie Sanders, if you go back and read his speeches uh from uh, 2016 2015 he's like every single one is like we need a revolution in this country and and it was very intersectional in the same way that the green new deal is very intersectional like it's not enough just to like get rid of uh you know overturn citizens united and get rid of campaign finance and do this we have to do like these 17 different things at once and only then will begin to kind of uh, overturn the uh, the apple cart here utopianism is very attractive especially to young minds Um, she's selling a green new deal is all utopian. Donald Trump is utopian. There's a negative utopianism Mm -hmm. of we can seal Uh, the border. We can secure the country in this following way. And it's fantasy. Really? It is like we can, and that's his whole, like, we won't have a country if we don't do X. Yeah. That's like a negative utopia. But isn't
0: Ocasio-Cortez selling negative utopianism as well? We're, yes. we're all going to die in 12 yes. years. Very much there's, so. a, there's an affirmative version of the Trump story
3: as well. He's going to make America great again. Right. Yes. And we'll all um, have
0: jobs and we'll take care of
3: everybody. Yes. Quote. And and uh, and that's, uh, that's what worries me a little bit or a lot of bit about this current moment is that there has been this kind of cutting free from any sense of real world constraints or just like even nods to reality. The reason what we're talking about, Alexander, ocasio Cortez, because it's fun uh, on some level, but also because no one's actually going to talk about um, what the government does for the next two years. I mean, right now as we're talking, there are, there's a reporting that there's a, a deal being made about the border, which actually shocks me. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, that 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 is yeah. even in in uh, in play uh, because. The uh, the smart call always is Congress will do whatever is the least amount, the minimum required responsibility, which to me would would speak towards a national emergency more than an actual agreement uh, between them. But there's just going to be no one wants to talk about reality because reality is boring and it has constraints and there's debt and there's this you know there's entitlements there's all these boring things that people are kind of sick of even uh having to pretend our uh our, our things to consider with anymore. And so we're just like floating absolutely free. And the people who peddle this um, who will, if, if there's any like fair fact-checking system, and there isn't, um, they are going to say crap all the time. They are going to get things wrong all the time on this for the next two years, and all the Democrat, Democratic and presidential nominees are going to fall over themselves endorsing. Uh, you know, Cory Booker is going to be out there high-fiving whatever crazy nonsense AOC is going to be saying for the next twenty months. It's going to be dreary, and um, at some point there is going to be a uh, a margin call on this. And it's going to be a bad day for a lot of people. And, and I, I think our politics are not going to be at a good place when that happens.
1: Um,
3: sorry, good, sorry. A,
1: no, I think it's a good ending. Beat. Yeah. Sounds, sounds about uh, right to me. I think we should, we should probably yeah. reel it in here. Do we have any uh, closing thoughts in, I think, by the way, I want to do something here and I want to, I want to make everyone promise that sitting around this table or coming to us, from their hovel in uh, Bedsty, which is now <laughs> surrounded by all the guys from Colors, who are now <laughs> slightly older. Wow! But they're really Th- is that the Sean Penn movie? Sean Penn movie, yeah, great movie, yeah. great movie. Walking second Nightmare talking crazy. Wow! That's happening wow. right now. Um, it's funny because. Um, we have Camille on a separate, separate track, which means we can take out all the gunshots that are ringing out <laughs> behind him,
4: children being mowed down. And- See, if I, I was watching Do the Right Thing, so I thought Camille was more terrified by white guys in Boston Celtics' church. Oh, yeah, that's that, right. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's way, MAGA I, hats
0: now.
1: I want to say that uh, Radio Raheem passed away recently, Oh not sure. he? A couple, so, maybe I, I maybe it, last Six months ago? Six months ago. ago? Yeah. Yeah. And I rewatched that movie, and um, it is not good that is my my, my take <laughs> I on the movie. Refuse to believe that it, it was, is. Was never the no, biggest oh fan. God. I
4: think it's got its moments. I
1: like Robin Harris and those guys that oh, are on the on the sidewalk. Rob, Robin Harris is great. Baby's kids. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> Rob, Robin Harris is really. I will say. Here is my recommendation. I, instead of it uh, was somebody that wrote this. I was going to try to codify this that we can, in, in, in all of our contracts here that we actually bring a somebody that wrote this next time started a little more. It's a, it was a fun feature. It was a favorite feature and we've let it go. Cause we're lazy bastards. <laughs> so next time that is, but I will give you a recommendation. Hmm. Here's a recommendation. Hmm. Uh, the last OG with, uh, Tracy Morgan is a great show. That's all I'm going to say. It really? It's a great show, dude. It's oh. great. It's great. It's a lot of Brooklyn jokes about coming back to Brooklyn. It's a funny, funny show. And it's got, and it's the best uh, performance from Cedric, the entertainer. In a long time. You know, I, swear God, I swear to God. He's so funny. I, I, said, Sorry.
4: I said when uh, years ago that I thought Cedric the Entertainer would be a great actor if given uh, the right role. He is, he's in a movie called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke. It's getting a lot of, you know, I don't know if it got Oscar nominations. It definitely got Independent Spirit Award nominations. It's a dramatic role. He's a pastor. He's he's fantastic. He's a great no, actor. he's not he, fantastic. He can't, he can't, he can't. He's the is, worst he,
0: part of that film. Are you kidding me? He was great. I'm being yeah. totally serious. He's the worst part of that film. You're wow. outrageous. Wow. wow.
4: Yeah, what is he's the worst part? I, I like the Camille. Movie. Just hates black. People. Why
0: are you so both wrong and racist at the yeah. same time? Can, can I can I You're quadruple wrongist. down? Let me quadruple down on my uh, on my racism. Um, I, I do. It's not a some idiot wrote this, but Here it is. We go. I, I, a bit of petty annoyance, perhaps, <laughs> um, with the go. stories about Gail King checking. Oh, um, Governor yes, Northam. I knew this was going to be this. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Dude, this, we uh, should we should do this though. Well, actually, <laughs> no. I mean, look, <laughs> facts are facts are. Facts are stubborn things. It's unfortunate. I know this has been a very difficult week for you in the state of Virginia. So where would you like to begin?
4: Well, it has been a a difficult week. And and, you know, if you look at Virginia's history, we're now uh, at the 400 year anniversary, Uh, just 90 miles from here uh, in 1619. The first uh, indentured servants from Africa landed on our shores and.
3: Old point comfort, what we call now Fort Monroe. And while also known as slavery. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No Gail King. One might suggest that, well, there weren't it wasn't codified in law and that they didn't get the same treatment as other indentured servants from other parts of the world who came to the United States. But it matters that there was a system of indentured servitude. At a minimum, there are plenty of historians who would completely agree with Northam's characterization. And There were so many headlines that I saw smashing him over the head uh, for using the phrase indentured servitude in that context. Um, And he's doing this because he uh, part of his homework assignment uh, after getting into major trouble uh, related to all this blackface nonsense was that he has to read TNC um, and essentially turn his administration into uh, a, a beacon of of justice. Um, and racial reconciliation uh, where he's bringing people together. You know, I mean, there was a, there was this call by
1: the way to, for for him to step down, but I think the TNC assignment is
0: punishment enough. (laughs) It's a short book, but he seems, Uh, but he seems to, but he seems to be enjoying this 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 transformation. He's trying to do it. Um, It's just, it's one of those things. It's slightly annoying to me that the facts don't matter here in 1619, the Africans that were coming across, that were brought here to this country, there were plenty of people who would regard them in, as indentured servants. Um, it, it's certainly fair to refer to it as slavery later, but there. You it just is.
1: you just prevented yourself from having a uh, having having a gale king when you said coming across and you stopped and you said forced here because you didn't want to have your gale king
0: moment. I could be specific. Yeah, the circumstance was certainly different. There's no doubt about <laughs> yeah, that. Keep they up. weren't entering into contracts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, this bathrobe, he just Jello other. pops. Yeah, it looks like Cedric the Entertainer, <laughs>
0: <laughs> top hat on. So that's 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 all but, I got. Well, like, I hope your family feels better, Camille. Yes, bullshit. Uh, yes, if I can make yes, this sure. civilization so recovering. Yeah. There's a stomach virus that's been running through the house. Leah is in much better shape. Tracy is recovering. I, I, I pray to Odin that I don't contract the same malady that they've had. Um, and next time we record, we have to talk about the, the many lies of Kamala Harris, because that's the other thing that
3: is really just annoying the hell out of me. Get, get her name pronounced correctly first. You no Kamala, Kamala,
0: Kamala. I don't Kamala. give a crap. She's a liar.
3: I think it's a derivative. You,
4: it's uh, because she has a, an Indian uh, descendant parent, but, but she was talking up her Jamaican roots today. Today she, she was, was yeah. because she was talking about. You know,
1: she, she was on with um, with, with
4: Charlemagne, with, uh, yeah. Charlemagne, yeah. Today. But I think Kamala, Kamala, and Camille oh. may have similar derivations. Yeah.
0: They they do because Camille is uh, the derivative of Kamal. That's why yeah. he's angry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah, so when Kamal says, like, means, next, uh, one who, one who is perfect.
1: I just want everyone who's gotten this far, you poor fuckers, uh, to acknowledge that you were wishing we had a Patreon now when Camille said, next time I'm going to go through the many lies of Kamala Harris. And, and, and I heard the unsubscribe <laughs> buttons popping all across the land. <laughs> no, Trust me, we'll we'll rain them in, people. Fifth columnist, we'll reign them in. It's going to be fun. Alright, um, thanks everybody for listening, and if you got this far, send me an email and I will send you something in return. It will probably be an email with profanities, but I'll send you something Thank you. <laughs> Bye. 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 We,
2: we, we know of new methods of attack. The token